Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Paseo, good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Gary. I'm glad to be with you this morning. We want you to grab your Bible, whether there's a Bible in the rack or a Bible on your phone. Grab a Bible, open up to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5 uh, here. We're in a message, a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount together. Hey, and Carl, if, if you'd put that slide back up of Brad uh, in just a second there. Tomorrow night, our Perspectives class, 6.30. And tomorrow night, um, Carl, would you put Brad back up for me? There we go. Uh, this guy is, uh, let me just say this. He is different. Yeah, right? He is, uh, you know, uh, as a young man, he and his wife Beth moved to Papua New Guinea, took two young sons, grew up here in San Diego. So, like, you know, it's probably a lot easier being a missionary from Nebraska or something, right? You know, do you want to leave somewhere? Uh, I'm sorry, you Nebraskans. But, you know, somewhere where it's cold or South Dakota or something. But they left San Diego and went to Papua New Guinea, took two small boys and planted a church um, uh, in, in over a 20-year period, had another child there on the, on the field. And all three of their kids now are missionaries and have been missionaries or are or will be to unreached peoples as well. And uh, Brad, he, here's one of the things about Brad. He doesn't pull any punches. He says it like the Scripture says it. And so just want to encourage you to come be with us. We start at 6.30 tomorrow night. Goes to about 9, 9.15, something like that. You will not, you will not nod off, let me tell you that, okay? So I just encourage you to come. You're welcome to come and be with us. So Matthew chapter 5 here, um, Jesus is preaching away, and um, he comes to another point, and he says in verse 33 of Matthew 5, he says, again, he says, you have heard that it was said to the peoples long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, yes or no, Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And, and I think what Jesus is trying to drill down here in this teaching passage, what he's trying to drill down to is your character. Is, um, are you trustworthy? Um, do you have integrity? I, I, I think that's what Jesus, he's, he's saying, are you a whole person? Or are you a fractured person? Are you... Um, one way at school and a different way at home. Um, when you say something, will you carry it out? Uh, when, you, um, uh, 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 um, when you say, I believe this, do you act like the way that you believe? Are you the same in private as you are in public? Do you have integrity? 
I think that's what Jesus is trying to drill down to here. He says, is your yes, yes, or is your yes, maybe, or is your yes, if it's convenient, or if, is your yes, well, if I remember it, or is your yes, yes? It's, what's your character? And, and um, I'm going to tell you two stories about uh, people that have great character, who have great integrity. Uh, one of them is my uncle Johnny Bowman, great uncle Johnny Bowman. Um, he uh, and his two brothers had a ranch in DeGray, South Dakota. Uh, you've heard of it, no doubt, the Bowman Brothers Ranch. And uh, cattle, it was a cattle ranch, and uh, they don't have any cattle on it. Now they have um, solar panels on it. They grow solar panels on their, on their ranch. It's a lot more profitable and not nearly as messy. Uh, and, uh, uh, but when I was 16 years old, I spent a summer back there working on the farm. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was hard work, but it was fun for a kid from San Diego, right? And uh, we had a great time. My cousin and I went back. He was 15 and I was 16. And my uncle at dinner would tell me, Uncle Johnny would say, we're going to get a new, new tractor this summer. I said, oh, that's cool. A new tractor. That sounds great. And so one day we went into town. Whenever we'd go into town, 26 miles away to Pierre, the capital of South Dakota. You've never heard of that either. Uh, <laughs> you went into Pierre. And we'd always stop at the A&W root beer. Back then, it was real draft root beer. You know, they had it you know, like that and fill up these gallon, several gallon jugs and take back out to the farm. And so we went then to the tractor store. Have you ever been to a tractor store? I mean, it's like Fuller Honda. I mean, they got bright lights, right? Right, Marv? Right? They polish them up. I mean, it's the real deal. You go in there, they have a closer, just like at the dealership, Right. And except my, my Uncle Johnny just went in there, and he said, uh, and the guy said to him, they, he said, hey, Bill, hey, Johnny, how are you? Yeah, yeah. Who's this city slicker? How did he know I was a city slicker? <laughs> he just knew, right? Yeah, he introduced me, and he says, I want one of them Deer 974s. Yeah, okay. When do you want it? He says, well, I'd like it in a couple of weeks. And the guy says, great. Stuck his hand out. They stuck their hands out. They shook hands. And we walked out of the tractor store, and two weeks later, it was delivered. Not a contract signed, not a check written later, but that day, there was no down payment, there was no deposit, there was no, let me get your address and your email, can I see three forms of ID, can I keep your youngest son, you know, as the collateral, none of that, right, and why was that? It was because Johnny had character, right? His yes was yes, his no was no. Now, that doesn't happen just on the farm. You oh, that's farm life. That didn't happen on the farm. I was in a Bible study last sa- a week ago Saturday. One of the guys had lived in New York City and um, went to law school there, and he was in a Bible study with some guys, and these guys worked for big, in, in big money stuff. And uh, they were talking about that, that one of the guys had been offered a division in this company, this big company. And uh, these responsibilities, he'd oversee these people, he'd oversee these markets, and he'd get this raise. And the other guy said to him, um, who made the deal with you? And he said, Dennis made the deal with it. And the other guy said, consider it done. Because Dennis had integrity. What Dennis said, he would carry through on. See, that, that's what it looks like to have integrity, is that we're whole, and what we think, and what we say, and what we promise, what we promise to do, or we promise don't, we won't do, we keep those promises. It's, it's being whole, isn't it? But in Jesus' day, and in our day, 
integrity has gone missing, hasn't it? And it's missing in our day-to-day lives on the soccer field and in our workplaces and in our driving and in, in, in our relationships, even with our family and with our, our wives and our parents. And integrity, integrity a lot of times takes a back seat. Not that it's totally gone, but it takes... So it happens in our world and it happens in the highest offices in the land too, doesn't it? Broken promise everywhere and plagiarism and affairs and dishonesty and hypocrisy that I, I play act with you one way and I play act with someone else another way and we bail on commitments and we exaggerate and we hide and we gossip and we're evasive and we're misleading and we're deceptive. And it's not just in Jesus' day and it's not just in our day. It's always been this way. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, um, Solomon writes this. He says, many claim to have integrity. Many claim to have character and trustworthiness, unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. So thousand years before Jesus even lived, Solomon was wrestling with the same, that in t- same idea, same thought that integrity has gone on a long vacation. But in verse 33, Jesus quotes, uh, uh, he says, he, he's quoting the, the Pharisees, the religious people around him. He says, again, uh, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. And I think those that were around Jesus, the Pharisees among the crowd, went, wait, wait, Jesus, you're not talking about us. We have integrity. We keep our vows. We keep our promises most of the time. We're people of our word most of the time. They say, Jesus, haven't you seen our report card at how good we are at, at keeping vows? And, and indeed, the Old Testament, the Bible that they had in Jesus' day, is just full of commands of God to keep integrity. In Numbers 30, verse 2, when a man makes a vow to the Lord, he must not break his word, but he must do everything that he said. Integrity, wholeness. Or in the, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not give false witness against your neighbor. Or again in the Proverbs, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy, who have integrity, who are whole. And you see, what the Pharisees in Jesus' day had done is they had taken the law to keep your promise, and then they had created an elaborate system to minimize God's commands. Um, l- let me describe um, how they did that. H- how, how they did that. L- look in verse 34 with me. Jesus says, but I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's footstool, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, excuse me, it, uh, heaven is his throne, or, or verse 35, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, you, you see what the Pharisees are, were doing is they developed this elaborate, it's tax season, right? I wanted to let you know that. If you didn't know that yet, taxes are due here coming up quick. And I, I have a great tax guy. I praise God for my tax guy. He's a neat Christian guy. And I just bring him shoeboxes. And I just say, here you go, Dave. Sort it out. Fix it. Do it legal. Uh, I, I, have you ever seen the tax code? 
Some of you are accountants, and you just you salivate when, when I mention tax codes. The rest of us, we get sick to the stomach, you know. That stuff is so difficult and convoluted, and if this, and if this, and this, and this. Well, this is what the Pharisees had done, is they had developed this elaborate system of taking oaths. And, and, and you, well, you know, when you're a kid on the playground, you have an elaborate system of keeping oaths, right? So let's say, um, let's say... Um, Gary says to Ronnie, he says, hey, Ronnie, our family's going to Disneyland tomorrow, and I want you to go with us. And Ronnie's like, oh, that's really great. Promise? And so what's Gary say? Yeah, yeah, I promise. Let's sh-. So then you escalate it, right? Well, let's shake on it. Yeah, let's shake on it. Because Ronnie wants to make sure I'm going to keep my word, right? So, but Ronnie doesn't trust my word. He doesn't trust my handshake. So what does he say? He says, swear on a stack of Bibles, Gary. So what's Gary? Say, yeah, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. You, you see what we're doing here? And, and, and the more elaborate or the higher the vow is, the more punishments is going to come to me if I don't keep it. Because if I just say, hey, Ronnie, we're going to Disneyland tomorrow, and then I flake out, I'm, eh, it's not that big of a deal. But if I swore, I know better, swear on your mother's grave, right? Right? Isn't that what we say? And we play this game with each other of as I escalate the vow, then there's more urgency to keep it. And the more minimal the vow is, the less urgency and the less severity the punishment be. So, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do that. He says, I got, I got, he says, he says I, I've, got, I've got one more, Gary. Gary, cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Whoa, I mean, that's like the old, you don't keep that vow. You're not going to stick a needle in your eye, right? You're going to drive to Disneyland yourself the next day. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing in a more elaborate way. Uh, Hold your finger here and go over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse uh, 16. So over to the right a little bit, several chapters. Matthew 23, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to these very same Pharisees. He says, woe to you, blind guides, verse 16. You say, If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. You blind fools, what's greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift of the altar is bound by that oath. You see what they were doing? This is literally what they were doing. So you got the temple right here, right? And at the center of the temple is where God dwelt, right? It's where his name dwelt, where he dwelt. And so the farther away from the center of the temple, from the presence of God, that you made your oath, the less binding it was on you. So, so guess what? A lot of people were outside the gates, and they would swear by the gate of the temple. Because that's pretty lightweight. You can break that one pretty easy. But some others said, well, no, it's a little more serious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swear by the gravel on the way into the courts there. And they swear by that. No, that's more, that's more binding upon you. You see, that's what's happening. And, and actually, they got into the temple. Some people swore by the temple building itself. <laughs> hey, because it seems to be more binding. Some people, what did he say in, in chapter 23 there? Some people swore by the altar in the temple. He says, that's not as binding as if you swear by the gift that's on the altar in the temple. 
And you see, they were developing this elaborate system so that they could lower God's standard because it wasn't any problem at all when they, broke, when they broke oaths out here. And they just made sure they made oaths out here. We minimize God's commands so that we can get a passing grade. So we can think we can be that, we, that, we're, that we're, we're, we're successful. And it's kind of like these concentric circles. And the closer you are to the center, they said, the more you had to keep that coming. So they just made all their promises out here. So they weren't as binding. They weren't as important. And you see what they were missing is what Pharisees always miss, change of heart. You see, what Jesus was wanting to change was them from the inside out, not from the outside in. You see, they, they wanted to figure out what they could get away with. And Jesus says, I'm going to change you from the inside out. That your yes is always yes, whether you swear on your own head or whether you swear on the temple or whether you swear on your church or whether you swear on a stack of Bibles, that your yes is always yes, that you have that much integrity inside of you. That's what God is after here. And Jesus sees right through their, de their deceptive attempts to lower God's holy standard, and he destroys their game. And, and here's how he destroys their game. He says, he says aren't you guys aware that God is everywhere? God's not just present at the gate of the temple, and he's not just present on the, on, the, on the pathway of the temple. He's not just present on the altar. He's not just present in the Holy of Holies. He's not just present on the gift that's on the altar. He is everywhere. You say, well, where do you get that in the text? Right where Jesus put it in the text, verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven. See, some, oh, we'll swear an oath by heaven. That's close to God. He says, no, heaven is where God dwells. It's, it's his throne. Okay, well, we'll, we'll swear by earth because he doesn't live down here. Oh, no, don't swear by earth, verse 35, for it is his footstool. Well, we'll swear by the city of Jerusalem because that's close to God, but it's not God himself. Don't swear by Jerusalem for it is his city. It's the city of the great king. And what, Jer what, what, what Jesus is trying to say is, listen, it doesn't matter where you give your yes, where you give your oath, whether it's on a stack of Bibles or not, you're making all of your promises at, in the very presence of God himself. So when you're at Rubio's and you make a promise to someone across the table, God's there. When you're at church, when you make a promise to someone, God is right there. When you're in your house and you make a promise, when you're in your car, Wherever you are, God is present. I, I love how Jeremiah describes God's um, omnipresence. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? No, I fill heaven and I fill earth. I, I'm everywhere. And in fact, uh, over in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus has a really hard word. He has a really hard word. He says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Well, Jesus, I, I, I was at the gate of the temple when I said that. Oh, I was on the pathway to the temple when I said no, no, because God is everywhere. He hears every word we speak, whether it's in public or it's in private. 
because we're in his immediate presence. And we who have come to know Jesus Christ, who have come to know that our standing with him is not dependent on what we do. We don't, we don't have to live in fear of condemnation of his presence. You see, his presence now stirs me forward. It's, it empowers me in a new way to live with integrity instead of living under fear of condemnation. So, so I want to I I ask a couple of questions now. Um, verse 34, but I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. You see what Jesus is saying is God's presence is everywhere. So everywhere we're to have integrity, we're to have wholeness, because he sees and hears and observes every promise we make. So I want to ask four questions. The first one is this. What does it mean to have integrity? The word comes from integer, integer, which is a mathematic word, right? Some of you are mathematicians, and you go, oh, I know what an integer is. It's a whole number, right? So two and a half is not an integer. Um, I don't know what it is. It's a fraction. It's a fraction. That's interesting. So to have integrity, is it be, to be an integer, is to be not a fraction. And think about it. When you lack integrity, you're broken into pieces. There's one part of you that's this, and there's one part of you that's this, and there's one part of you that's this. So to have integrity is to be all the same to be the same inside, to be the same outside, to be the same online as you are offline. To be the same if your wife is at a party with you or she's not at a party with you. To be the same at church as you are when you get in your car in the parking lot. You drive down the road. You see, it's, it's not to leave part of yourself somewhere else, although you take yourself with you, but it's not like these different hats that we put on that cause us to be, have this split personality. It's to be always the same. That's what, Je that's what Jesus is, right? He's always the same. We're going to talk... He is, the, he is the one of integrity, right? And whatever he promises, he always does. Whatever he warns, he always does. Whatever he counsels is always the right word. He is the one with integrity. And to not have integrity is to be, to be split up into, into, into several places. That's Proverbs 20, verse 6, asks that question. Yeah. Many claim to have integrity, unfailing love, trustworthiness, but a faithful person who can find. Robert Bolt is a playwright. Um, he wrote the play, many of you know, A Man for All Seasons. And that's the story of, uh, of, of Sir Thomas More who has some political views and some religious views that, that, are, that differ with the government that he's under. And they get him into a lot of trouble, but he feels these things so strongly. And I think of Martin Luther's anniversary, we, we celebrated this last year, who, who had these views that were different than the norm, and he, he stuck to his views. He had integrity. 
and, 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 and uh, Tom, Sir Thomas More's um, uh, opinions were so strong that he was eventually jailed in the play, and then he was sentenced to uh, death to, ex- to be executed. And just before his execution, his daughter Meg comes to him, and she pleads with him for his life. She says, Dad, 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 recant. Say you don't believe that anymore. It wouldn't have been true. But Dad, say that you were mistaken in those views. Dad, save your own life. And Sir Thomas More says, when a man takes an oath, Meg, he's holding his own self in his own hands like water. And if he opens his fingers then, he needn't hope to find himself again. And when you lack integrity, when you open your hand, you, you, you hold yourself in your hands, and when you open your fingers and let, the, let yourself run through, you, you ought not expect that you'll find yourself again because you've become a fractured person. And as your pastor over the years, and just as a person, um, many times I've sat with people who have opened their hands and fallen into affairs and who have who've, um, um, committed crimes and uh, violated promises to other people. And their life now is just a mess. And, and what they will say to me, sometimes through the thick glass at a jail or uh, at, at Starbucks, as Carlo uh, teased well about, or in my office or in a home, as they, as they share, they say, I don't know who I am anymore. And their wife or their friends or their neighbors would agree. We don't know who he or she is anymore either. You see, to, be in t- to have integrity means to be whole and to keep those fingers closed that we, 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 don't, we don't open our fingers when it's convenient. We don't open our fingers when it's easier. We don't let down a promise when it's easier. We do what is right even when it costs us. That's what integrity is about. That's what integrity. So, so what, is a, what does a lack of integrity look like? I want to share just some, say, hey, we're going to have some fun with this. I hope you think it's fun. Uh, we're going to have some fun with this. What's, what's the lack of integrity look like? And as, as, I, as I share each of these scenarios with you, I want you to think this would not happen if we recognize the presence of God everywhere. In other words, you, you, you wouldn't be different online than you are offline if you realize that as you're typing in what you're typing in online that God was sitting there right at the typewriter with right at the, the keypad with you, right? We, see, we, we forget the presence of God all the time. And we think for some reason that when we get to the keypad and we get onto Facebook or Twitter or to Snapchat or whatever it is, that God's no longer there. Just like the, just like the Jews did. Just like the Pharisees did. That it's not binding. It's not as important. Je- what does Jesus say in verse, in verse 37? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Or how about your resume? Think about your resume. Gosh, we just keep reading about it, about perf- important people, professors and CEOs and 
uh, physicians and, and, and you and me, regular people who pad their resumes. I went to this school when they didn't. I got this achievement when I haven't. And when we do that, we, when, when, I, when we do that, we forget the presence of God is with us. When, when, when we do that, or when I, when I pledge to love my wife and my kids, and then I flirt with someone when they're not there. See, I wouldn't do that if I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if my wife was there. All the more God is there, wherever we are in private or public. Um, if we remembered God's presence, or, or when we forward or retweet or send on stuff, that we're not positive is true. That's a lack of integrity. Because you're, tr- you're trying to be vindictive when we do that, right? Oh my gosh, look what he did. Oh, I'm going to send that to all my friends who agree with me politically. You see, that's just being vengeful. If you don't know, if, if it's vengeful, if it's slanderous, if you're not positive that it's true, it's a lack of integrity, my friends, to Jesus is right there when you forward that, that slanderous thing that you, that you send forward. Even though it, it may, might make you feel better for a few minutes. And, oh, look, yeah, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. That's not the way it works, is it? But there's something so satisfying about that. Um, or, or sometimes uh, someone will ask you, hey, you want to come over to dinner uh, Friday night? And say, oh, I'd love to, but I'm going to be out of town. But you're not, Right? I, the, what I oftentimes will say is, I have to wash my hair that night. And, and it's for some reason, no one ever believes that. Or, or, or how about this, the, the, act of, um, the act of bailing, the act of bailing, bailing out on someone. Um, I came across on uh, uh, February 12th an article by David Brooks, uh, who's an edit, editorial writer, who's a really good writer. It's called The Golden Age of Bailing. And what he's talking about is how easily we bail out on people. So make a promise. Hey, hey, let's grab coffee. (laughs) I don't mean that. I'm just saying that, right? Because that's what you're supposed to say. Hey, yeah. Sometimes it even goes, let's set a date. So, hey, how about Thursday? Yeah, great, great. And then what do we do? We bail. And technology has made it easier to bail, right? So if I say to Brian, hey, Brian, uh, let's grab coffee Thursday night. And then Thursday afternoon, hey, I don't want to go have coffee with Brian. I mean, I really do, but, <laughs> but I have to wash my hair that night. So uh, <laughs> we could do it together real quick. I'd be done. So, but see, I'm not going to go over to Brian's house, right, and say, hey, Brian, uh, I'm really feeling sick. <laughs> uh, so I can't go, to, go out and have coffee with you tonight, right? So what do I do? I text Brian. Because it's easier, right? Technology has made this easier. And Brian's like, yes. You know, sometimes it's good when someone bails on us, but most of the time not, right? right? So, so Brooks talks about that. He says, um, uh, he says there are different categories of bailing. Uh, for instance, there's canceling on friends, and there seems to be a bail curve pattern. People feel free to bail on close friends because they'll understand. And it's easy to bail on distant friends because they don't matter so much, but you're less inclined to bail on medium-tier or fragile friends, right? right? But if you understand God's presence, you don't bail. You know, sometimes you can't make it, but you explain why, and, and, and you do that with integrity. Or he said there's a professional bailer. 
this, this has a hierarchical structure. A high-status person is perfectly fine on bailing on a lower-status person at your office, right? But if an intern bails on a senior executive, he will not be an intern much longer. Uh, he says, uh, Brooks says, I've been reading the online discussions to understand the ethics and etiquette of bailing. There's a whole elaborate system of what a bailing is allowed, right? If you swear by the Bible. I, I'm struck by how many people are quick to bail and view it as an unproblematic act. They argue we all have the right to control our own time and achieve mastery over our own lives. Bailees, person getting bailed on, bailees have a duty to understand that sometimes other people are just too frazzled to follow through on their promises. Tim Keller, who helped me a lot with this sermon, by the way, um, he has this thing called word. He, he says one of the ways that we have lack of integrity is word inflation. Verse 37, and you, all you need to say is let your yes be yes, your no be no, right? So T Keller talks about word inflation or hyperbole. Hyperbole, though, that is meant to deceive. There's a hyperbole. Jesus uses hyperbole often, right? But he doesn't do it to deceive. He does it to get his point across. But, but what Keller is talking about is this word inflation where we overuse words to try to deceive people. So um, uh, it, was the, it was the biggest, 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 biggest ever, right? It was the best, 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 best ever. Now, and what happens when you do that is words become meaningless, right? And we become, it's like the little boy who cried wolf. He's always crying wolf, so no one pays any attention to the biggest, 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 biggest. It's a lack of integrity, though. Um, so I know what some of you say about my sermons, that you say, it was the very, 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 very longest sermon I've ever heard in my life. But the problem with that is what about next week? What are you going to say next week? Very, 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 you know, this word inflation. And we need to be careful. It's okay to use adjectives, but they're, they're, they're given for a reason, Right? And, 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 and if everything is the best, 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 or biggest, 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 then nothing is the biggest, 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 right? Nothing is the best, best, best. It's a lack of integrity that we all can struggle with. Um, I, 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 have a, uh, I have an acquaintance who uh, calls, fancies themselves the truth teller. And they say that what they say is the truth. Now, th in other words, they say mean things to you, right? That, that's their gift in life, is that they say mean things to you because they're telling the truth, as if telling the truth gives you a pass on civility, or telling the truth suspends um, a kindness, or telling the truth uh, does away with any sense of discreetness. And oftentimes, when you find, you know people like this who tell the truth and they're proud of it, is a lot of times, most of the time, they have a vendetta. They have a, uh, they have a, a, a vengeful spirit. And so while they're telling some of the truth, they're not telling all of the truth. And the truth that they are telling a lot of times has been bent by the bias that they have because they, they have a vendetta. Um, and and that, can be, that can be a real truth can be a lack of integrity when it's used as a weapon. When it's used as a weapon against people. We're to speak the truth to one another in love, right? Not just speak the truth. Uh, 
You're going to have some fun in your growth groups this week, I hope. So let's say your wife comes home and she says, how do you like my hair? <laughs> That's not a rhetorical question. Help me, help me. <laughs> and this has never, ever happened in our house, but imagine if it did, and you didn't like it. What do you, you know, what do you do? You guys solve that in growth group and get back to us next week, all right? Um, uh, here's another lack of integrity. I think this is an interesting one, too. It's, um, there's a lack of integrity in, when we, in, in when, when we don't tell the truth to each other in love. So let's say I've, we've got a group of, let's say, six people that are close friends. And one of the people, everybody else talks about that person because they're doing X, Y, Z. They're, gosh, they're spending a lot of money. Well, they're never home. Uh, well, uh, boy, they're harboring a lot of bitterness. Everybody else in the group talks about it. In, in a, in, in, and I'm not saying in a gossipy way, in a positive way. Gosh, I'm really concerned about per, this person. But nobody has the integrity to lovingly tell them to speak the truth in love. And I think that's a high, that's a high, there's a high calling for that kind of integrity in the family of God. Because to allow that person to go on. Now, you don't go to them and say, hey, the six of us have been talking, and man, are you screwed up. You know, it's not the way to do it. Uh, my truth teller would say that's the way to do it, right? But what you do is you go, you pray, and you go as a learner, right? And you go and you say, hey, um, you know, I could really be wrong here, but I've noticed this. I've noticed that every time so-and-so's name comes up, you just get tight. And that's not like you. I've known you a long time, and that's not like you. Can I help? Can I, can I, how can I pray for you better? Well, you know, that gentle answer turns away wrath, right? And we need to do, in the family, that's what we do with each other. We are family. I've been thinking a lot, um, and, and you've heard some of this, and you'll hear more. I've been thinking a lot about what gifts to leave to the new pastor. I hope, you've, you, I hope you're thinking about that. What gifts will you leave and bring to the new pastor? And I was thinking of this. I was thinking, if I were to, if I were, if I were to come to a new church, if I become the pastor of a new church, one of the gifts that I would like to be in that church is where people lovingly tell one another the truth. Now, not everybody telling everybody the truth, but within those groups of close relationships, and that they're telling the truth in that loving, learning way together. Because that's what family does. And yeah, it hurts. Uh, yeah, you know, you're, I don't know. I am kind of bitter about that still. Would you help me? It hurts some, but what a wonderful environment that will be for a new, for a new pastor to come. Now, I want to say something. That I said it at first service, too. And I'm going to be real, very transparent with you on this is another gift that I think you could give to your pastor, it's a gift of integrity, is, is if you leave the church, that you do it with integrity. I'm, a, I'm an expert on people leaving churches. Every pastor is. Every, Jeremiah's dad's a pastor, and he and I have talked about this. People leave churches. 
but, but I want to say to you, I'm just going to be so transparent here. So many people leave churches with a lack of integrity. With, in a very emotionally unhealthy way, they just disappear. Oh, 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 they've talked to their eight close friends and told them what's the matter with the church. But then they just, they just take off. They never talk to leadership. They never talk to the senior pastor. One of the things when people come to us from another church, oftentimes, not always, one of the things we're getting to know them is I'll say to them, have you talked to the leadership at your church about your leaving that church? Don't do it all the time. Because you know what? If they haven't done, if they haven't worked through whatever those issues are, they're emotionally not healthy. And they're spiritually not healthy because that's, that was their family. So when, when our new pastor comes, I hope every single one of you is so supportive and so prayerful and so encouraging. And he's going to be so different than me. And in some ways, you're going to like him a lot better than me. And in some ways, you might go, eh, Gary was better at that. But I hope that you invite all of your friends. And I hope this church goes to five services a Sunday because God's doing something incredible here. But, but, but I need to say that one or two of you will leave. I hope that's all it is. Leave with integrity. Whenever you leave a church, leave with integrity. What's that mean? That before you've made your decision, you go to the leadership of the church. They're not your parents, by the way. <laughs> we don't play that game around here. I am not your dad. And our elders are not your dads or your uncles. We're, we are family. That's a biblical idea, right? But they are our leaders. And, I, and, and God has called me to, to shepherd. And so you go to, the, you go to your leaders and you have, a, you have honest conversation. I'm starting to feel this. What do you, help me to understand that. And you go as a learner, again. If you go and say, we're leaving, <laughs> you don't do that to your family, do you? you don't, would you do that to your family at home? Hey, I'm done, I'm out of here. So you go and you have a conversation and you pray together and you listen. And, 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 and then, you know, as you work along, if you need to leave, then you leave with integrity and you, and you tell people, you tell people. Okay, so often in churches, more often than not, people just leave. And that is so, it lacks integrity and it lacks emotional health. Because imagine if one of your kids just one day just disappeared, just left. And you don't, where are they? You haven't seen them around here. And a year later, you're at Costco and you run into them. Hey, let's just be emotionally unhealthy and pretend nothing ever happened. That's so, that's dysfunction with a capital D, right? We don't do that to each other. And so I just, and, and, and I hope this will serve you for the rest of your life, because you'll probably be in other churches, is, and, and, and encourage us, let's leave, when, when you leave, two, only two of you are allowed to leave, by the way. <laughs> okay, you got uh, to have integrity, you promised me, well, you didn't promise me, but I just hope it's just two of you, but when you leave, and sometimes it's okay to leave a church. I think it's a lot less frequently than people think it is. But it's okay sometimes to leave a church. But do it with integrity and godliness like you have. Amen? Amen. Don't all rush to my office this week, by the way. Okay, one more. This is kind of a fun one. See, you see, if, if we realize the presence of God, 
then we would work it through with godly people. And it still might end up that we leave at the end of the day, but we do it with integrity. So here's a fun one. Um, uh, man or lady was flying in an airplane. This is a story that I've read. Uh, They're flying in an airplane, and uh, back in the day, they used to serve food on airplanes, uh, meals. And so this person opened up their, their, their meal, and right in the chicken is a cockroach. No, no, it was okay. He was dead, so he hadn't, he had not, but it could have been the food. Yeah, so, ah, you know, ah, just like that. So they, they, they file a complaint with the airline, and they get a personal letter, personal letter signed by the president of the airlines. It said something like, dear Mrs. Jones, dear Mr. Jones, we are so, <laughs> we can't believe it. This is, inc- we're just beside ourselves. Oh, we don't know how this happened. This is awful. We're, here's a coupon for a free, you know, beverage or something. Oh, we're just, please accept our apology. Da, 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 da. And this lady was reading it and said, man, lady was reading it and said, wow, this is awesome. Signed by the president of the airline. Started to fold it up and noticed there was something on the back of the letter. Looked at what it, it was a sticky note. And it said, send standard roach letter. <laughs> yep. Now, see, that's what I call kind of uh, get out of my hair lack of integrity, right? Just, it's kind of what we do to our kids sometimes. We have a lack of integrity with our kids. Uh, we never did this. I'll just tease about it. But I, I threatened to tell the kids that the cable television doesn't come to Eastlake. You know, kids, I don't want you to watch it. So lack of integrity. We can do, we can do those. If, I, if we recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives, we wouldn't be like that. So here's the, th- here's the last question. Who do we turn to? Who do we run to? R- remember what Sir Thomas More said, when a man takes an oath, Meg, he's holding his own self in his hands like water, and if he opens his fingers, then he needn't hope to find himself again. So what do we do? Do we try harder? Do we do more? Many claim to have integrity, unfailing love, but a faithful person who will find... But I tell you, verse 34, do not swear an oath at all. By the way, I don't think that we need to take that literally, that we never swear oaths, that we never go to, if we go to court, that we don't swear an oath, um, that when we join the military or the police department, or every time you put your hand over your heart and pledge allegiance to the United States of America. Now, there are some groups who do take those that literally, never to take an oath. Our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Quaker friends, they take that literally. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And why do I don't think that's what Jesus is saying? It's because Jesus took oaths. And God the Father is an oath-keeping God. Covenant, that's an oath, right? And Paul and early Christians took oaths. So there's a principle that's deeper here, isn't it? And, And it's to let your yes be yes. And why? Because God is present with us. Who can find a faithful person? We have found the faithful person. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus to the church at Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. We have found the faithful one, right? Jesus is integrity. When he speaks, he speaks truth. When he warns, it's true. When he promises, it will, he will always fulfill it. He will never be dishonest. He will never weep. He will never cross his fingers. You never have to wonder if his yes is a yes. And because Jesus is our faithful friend and he now lives in us, we have new power 
and new desire to live with integrity. You're not good enough to have integrity all the time, but he is, and he lives inside of you, and he gives you a desire and a power to live a life of integrity. The faithful one is with you. Jesus, the faithful and true witness, lives inside of us to make what's impossible for us, because we're not good enough, to make it possible because he is good enough.